rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you on a Wednesday, August 26th, one month until kickoff, Gamecocks kickoff. September 26th against Tennessee at Williams-Price Stadium for the 2020 football season, the COVID-19 revamped 2020 college football season. Uh, You can kind of feel the excitement in the air uh, because it looks like, you know, a lot of people out there feel positive about getting this thing off the ground. Um, All in all, SEC schedule this year. It's going to be challenging for the Gamecocks, obviously. Uh, But South Carolina's kind of laying in the weeds. They're kind of under the radar. Um, And that's always – it's not necessarily a bad thing when you're coming off a year like the Gamecocks did last year, going four and eight, very disappointing in many ways. It was an inexcusable season for Will Muschamp and his staff. But you know, th- there's always a chance at redemption. Uh, a good friend of mine always likes to say, "The good Lord loves redemption." And South Carolina, first two games of the season, Tennessee and Florida, they have a shot at redemption relatively quickly. And to kind of get back in the conversation in the SEC East. But we had a show on relevance a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to stop hammering that point home. Um, you know, I think that as I continue to kind of listen to the national narrative uh, about actually playing the season and not uh, if we should play or not, you know, one thing I've noticed is the Gamecocks are sort of absent. Um, you know, there was an adjusted top 25 the other day. I think eight SEC schools were in. Uh, and then Mississippi State received votes, but not the Gamecocks. So uh, they're off the radar, folks. Uh, probably more off the radar this year than I've seen them in a while. Uh, maybe since after Holtz went 0-11 that next season. Uh, but people were still talking about the fact Lou Holtz went 0-11. So there's just literally nothing. Maybe the you have to go back to the Brad Scott era in terms of that, but we did a show on relevance a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to hammer that point home. Uh, I think as is the case with anything, media coverage, narratives, uh, all that, especially in a preseason situation can turn out to be positive because the, the guys, the players, the, the actual you know, people that are putting in the work, you know, they're not really distracted by, Oh, we're going to be good. Or and keep in mind, these are college kids. You know, in their mind, you know, they read things and, and hear things. And, you know, other teams are getting, you know, maybe some outsized hype. I mean, uh, if you're Kentucky right now and you end up at the top 25, even though their coaching staff probably doesn't want this to happen, you're going to have less of a the Kentucky chip on your shoulder like they've developed under Mark Stoops. If you're Tennessee, you get back in that top 25, uh, which they are, even though they, you know, they had a – they were kind of like the 2017 Gamecocks last year where they sort of, you know, didn't really beat anybody of significance, um, but won and got to eight and five, and they're really selling it on the recruiting trail now. Um, but, you know, they're in the top 25, so are they going to think, hey, we've arrived um, based on our body of work? You know, South Carolina doesn't have to worry about that. So there's two sides to everything. I think you don't want the program – you don't want to be like off the radar like this for a long, long time because that hurts your relevance and hurts recruiting. Although these guys do a good job of overcoming things like that in recruiting. But, you know, right now for this team, you know, they have to realize they have a lot to prove and they do. 
you know, you don't go four and eight and lose, you know, your long winning streak against schools from North Carolina twice, losing to a Sunbelt team at home, uh, an inexcusable loss at Missouri where coaching on the offensive side of the ball and support decisions in that department really cost you. Uh, in, in the Mayor's Cup, which is a team he had beaten three straight times, you go to Tennessee and collapse, three straight wins at Tennessee are out the door. Um, you know, just everything that could go wrong will go. And then they weren't competitive against Clemson, uh, weren't competitive against A&M on offense, uh, and then late they blew it out. So the last two games were terrible. I mean, they were, you know, they reminded me of the 1999 Lou Holtz team, you know, in the last two games last year where they just were going nowhere. And whatever bright spots you got on defense were quickly eliminated uh, by the fact that their offense just was pedestrian and stalled and whatever. And, of course, last year there were lots of injuries again. Um, and so redemption uh, is possible uh, here coming up in this all-SEC season. But that's all on that topic. I want to talk about wide receivers uh, and, and, and kind of throw this out at you. Jalen Brooks is a player that South Carolina got via the transfer portal. He is not eligible yet. He has not gotten his waiver. They feel like they have a chance at getting him eligible. 6'3", 190 pounds, played at Wingate College, Wingate University in North Carolina on the D2 level, uh, caught 44 passes there, was going to transfer to Tarleton State in Texas uh, and actually did go through with that transfer, then decided to come back closer to home because of a family issue. And South Carolina picked up his tape and evaluated it. Joe Cox, the new wide receivers coach, liked what he saw. Quite frankly, I like what I saw on the tape. Uh, and the Gamecocks offered him a scholarship right before camp and got him in. He's six foot three. He's 190 pounds. He's built kind of similarly to Brian Edwards, who was uh, a, a draft pick by the Las, Las Vegas Raiders and is doing well in minicamp. Uh, Edwards was the all-time leading receiver in South Carolina history. He departed after last year. Uh, so he's a guy that could maybe step in who's got some experience at the college level that could do some things, make some things happen for a receiving core that's really kind of looking beyond Shy Smith for a guy to step up and do that. And, and so w- when you look at Brooks, if they can get him eligible, he could be a big piece of the puzzle. And based on practice, you know, this guy's one that competes every down, competes for every ball. Uh, he's got a lot of discipline in his game. He's got a lot of ability to go out and compete down in, down out. He takes pride in his blocking, great body control when he jumps up to get the ball. He can leap uh, fast enough. I mean, this guy could be one of the most uh, under-the-radar players in the country since he came from D2, uh, and he's heading into the SEC um, if things go as planned. And, And I'll say this, too. People worry about the level of competition. You know, you go from Wingate to the SEC, that's that's a big jump. But he's going up against Izzy McQuamu, J.C. Horn, Jamie Robinson, Cam Smith, a, a lot of high-level SEC guys individually in one-on-one situations in camp. So the worry is less considering who he's going up against in practice. If South Carolina were rebuilding their secondary, maybe had a bunch of freshmen back there, then you kind of take things slow and you say, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding based on his practice performance and all that. South Carolina just has to get him eligible. And uh, if they do, he could be a guy that really works out for the Gamecocks, a big surprise. Uh, So if you get Brooks, and and we're going to talk as if Brooks will get the waiver. And, you know, that's 
you know, you see some of these waivers around the country. Now, Cade Mays at Georgia, the running back at Virginia Tech, uh, and the NCAA is kind of, after being very liberal with approving players, they, uh, they've gone back and started denying guys. Um, I will say that, you know, Jalen Brooks is not transferring out from a program that canceled football or whatever. That wasn't the reason he transferred out. They may have canceled football out there at Tarleton, uh, but it was before people started canceling the season. So, so that's not really a reason uh, to deny him. But uh, South Carolina feels good about that. So we're going to operate under the assumption he will get his waiver. All right, so you put him with Shai Smith. Let's say he's number two, you know, the number two receiver on the team. Well, well then your three becomes – and, look, these, these guys line up all over the place. I'm not going, like, outside to inside here. I'm just talking about top receivers on the team. Uh, Xavier Leggett or DeCarian Joiner is your three, and then the next one's four. Uh, and then maybe you, you get a Luke Doty uh, if it works out at receiver to be your fifth guy. Uh, and then for your sixth, uh, you know, Rico Powers has been right there. You could even move Rico up. Let's say, let's say Rico passes Xavier Leggett. Uh, Xavier's been hurt. Rico's been taking snaps at his position. Let's say Rico's a starter. And then you kind of look at it, and your three starters end up being Rico Powers, Jalen Brooks, and Shai Smith. So you've got the guy that's returning, that's a proven guy. You got a guy that's proven himself, proving himself every day in practice in Brooks that has experience on the college level. Uh, and then your third guy's a stud true freshman um, who brings it every day. Uh, and then four and five become Leggett, who is the fastest player on the team. <laughs> uh, and DeCaria Joyner is one of the most elusive players on the team. And then, you know, Luke Doty may or may not be the guy. Uh, so you look at it, and, you know, all of a sudden with Brooks, if he gets eligible, you're kind of cooking with grease a little bit because, you know, you do have some guys. You do have some targets, uh, some guys that can take a top off the defense, the guys that can get separation, guys that can make people miss in the open field, guys with really good hands. Um, and, and that, I think, as an end product, is superior to maybe what we were anticipating which is Shy Smith and then just cycle a bunch of average guys out there, and then it is what it is. So um, I think Jalen Brooks may be that, that linchpin to where at least you have a guy that's played at the college level a bunch, that's performed and produ produced at the college level, uh, who obviously is a very hard worker um, and has the size and speed and hands and, and everything you sort of look for. So, you know, I, I think that's the linchpin to this receiving core uh, if we really think about it, moving on in toward the season, hopefully the NCAA and uh, we don't uh, we don't always love the NCAA and we don't always uh, respect their decisions because they operate in darkness when it comes to things like this. And uh, I know a lot of coaches like Lane Kiffin's been very frustrated uh, about getting one of his safeties eligible this year. They still haven't heard about it. You know, Nick Muse, they didn't really care enough about him. Um, to even talk, you know, to even talk about it until after the first game. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a certain level of, 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 of I guess, ivory towerism with the NCAA. Uh, and then on South Carolina's end, you know, uh, you know are, are they doing everything quickly or whatever um, would be the other question. I've been told they are. I've, 
but told compliance gets stuff together lightning fast and gets it in and dots every I and crosses every T on South Carolina's end. So I, I don't think it has anything to do with the Gamecocks or USC. Uh, but those are questions, you know, if this Jalen Brooks thing drags into the second week, then you have to start asking yourself, well, why was Muse that late? And then why is Brooks that late? Uh, and what what could be done, if if anything, on South Carolina's end to kind of speed up the process? But like like I said, based on what I've been told, you know they work quickly, super quick. Everybody's pleased with the effort on South Carolina's end. Um, you know, I want to thank everybody for the mailbag questions. Uh, we got several. Uh, again, if you have a question, I will answer it here on the podcast. Uh, you have to email. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, and I will answer those questions. Um, and uh, also on Twitter, you can uh, you can email, I'm mean, sorry, you can message us on Twitter, tweet at us, and uh, we'll answer those questions as well. Uh, and I appreciate that. Appreciate everybody going to the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone. Quickly rate it five stars. If you feel like, you know, going in and writing a review. Those are absolutely awesome uh, as well. That kind of just helps our ranking uh, on uh, Apple, and which is uh, which is everything when it comes to, to it. You know, you got, uh, you know, CP yesterday, solid pod. Um, JC has the best info for Gamecock fans, hang, hands down. You know, Robert, this guy kicks so much ass. Go Cox. I appreciate that. Mega Sully, an amazing Gamecock podcast. Game JC brings the truth every episode. All this is flattering, folks. I mean, <laughs> I appreciate that, and I try really hard. Uh, so go join these guys uh, and uh, get the podcast rating out there. Get us up. Uh, we're up to 142. I would love to get up to 500 uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So tell your friends. Heck, if your wife has an iPhone, grab the iPhone and go you know, go rate it or whatever. Cause that's, um, those are awesome reviews and they really, really help our pot. And I appreciate that. So 140, I'm sorry, or the 142 thought it was 137. So we're getting there. Uh, we're getting there as far as, uh, the, uh, ratings and stuff. So I appreciate all that. I appreciate the mailbag and, uh, we're going to get to some mailbag questions right now. Um, briefly, I do want to talk about this basketball commit because this guy, Carlos Williams, I think it's Carlos Williams. So, so Frank Martin and staff, they go down to Mississippi. And I think we all know because the Gamecocks play Mississippi, Mississippi State every year. And there's also programs like Memphis that recruit that state and Alabama or whatever. They've got some good basketball talent in Mississippi. Uh, so Carlos Williams uh, commits to the Gamecocks. Um, he's going to sign in April. Uh, he's got to – get his grades up a little bit. There's no ACT or SAT, SAT this year, um, but the staff accepted his commitment thinking he was in a good position to make the grade. Um, Gamecocks are not taking any more commitments for 2021. You know, this guy had offers from Baylor, Mississippi State. Ole Miss was in on him and backed off. A&M was trying to get in on him. Buzz Williams, there you go. Uh, Baylor was the, the place he was going, but Baylor took a couple of players similar to him. Um, he's a 6'6", 230-pound guy that can leap out the gym, uh, sort of an all-position type of player. 
you know, pretty good shooter, although you don't, you don't see that a lot on the film. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, player comparison was Draymond Green. I don't know. <laughs> I hate player comparisons. Uh, but I don't know a whole lot about basketball, basketball game. And, and if, I don't know about evaluating basketball. I can, I can talk about a game and break it down uh, with reasonable credibility. But when you start getting into, like, evaluating talent, and stuff like that, you know, that's not really my strong suit. So I kind of just borrow from people I trust. But this is a good, this is a good pickup. High three star guy uh, going into Mississippi. That's a that's a different place, you know. It's under Frank Martin, South Carolina's done a good job. They go up and down the East Coast from Florida all the way up to New York, uh, Pennsylvania, and all that. Uh, and then they do do a good job of dipping into the Midwest. They'll get some kids out of St. Louis every now and then. Uh, of course, Jermaine Cousinard was from. Uh, he played in Indiana, but he's really from Chicago. So they, they'll dip in and get a guy like that. And then they go international, you know, all over the place, Canada, wherever. Um, so when you're talking about the Gamecocks, you know, this year, it's, uh, it's a situation where, you know, the recruiting class, I think adding this guy, you know, makes it, it makes it a pretty solid class. You know, he joins in with Devin Carter out of Miami uh, and then Jacoby Wright, who had an outstanding summer and, and probably will end up going up. Um, right now, this class for 2021, and it, it's not going to stay here, is ranked fourth in the SEC, uh, which the previous year is ranked 13th. <laughs> I don't ever expect South Carolina number one in the uh, computer-generated 24-7 sports basketball team recruiting rankings to ever be that high, ever. That's It's not going to happen. <laughs> and that's fine because that really, you know, as we've learned over the years, doesn't have much to do with winning games. Um, and then uh, I never expect them to be picked by the SEC media media, media days. If they're picked above eighth this year, it's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle, and it should make you nervous because that may mean they not they may not go all that well. So, you know, and I look at this too, and, and this is in terms of recruiting basketball guys, you know, that are highly regarded. Um, 24-7 sports has an all-time commits thing. Uh, and I, and I, this may not go back very far, but the number one recruit was P.J. Dozier. And number two was Sendarius Thornwell. How important were those guys? Number three was Bruce Ellington out of, <laughs> you know, who ended up being really good on the football field. And then, like, you get Demontre Harris, Lakeem Jackson, Balkman, but then R.J. Slauson wasn't all that good. Mike Holmes never panned out. Anthony Gill was good at Virginia once he transferred. Dwayne Day, solid player. Damian Leonard, not that good. Ramon Galloway got out of here and went to, uh, where did he go, Villanova or uh, LaSalle. Uh, Demetrius Henry, not that good. Sam Muldrow played really well during the, the uh, Odom era. C.D. Keita transferred after the Final Four. So I think he's transferred again. Uh, and then you get into A.J. Lawson, you know, and then Tamarcus Blanton and then Jalen McCrary. That's Tamarcus Blanton and Jalen McCrary start the three-star deal. Oh, and Lawson was a three-star, by the way. Although, A.J. Lawson stays in school and uh, ends up playing his senior year of basketball. Carolina would have probably had to beat the whole country on that guy. You know, so that, that just kind of shows you that historically it's it's been tough 
for South Carolina recruiting. Um, I'll get into – we're going to get into all that at some point closer to basketball season because there are reasons for that, and I, I don't know that there's any answer uh, to those reasons other than, you know, just go out there and, and you know, kid, go to the NCAA tournament four or five straight years or four out of five years and, you know, have you know that will generate more fans in the stands if we ever get fans in the stands back uh, and winning and all that. I think the idea right now, you know, no matter who the coach is, uh, you know, this is not an indictment of Frank Martin. Is you know Frank Martin's got to go find guys. You know he's got to go get the Jacoby Wrights of the world. He's got to go find uh, this kid Carlos Williams. You know, he, he's got to go get the A.J. Lawsons and the Jermaine Cousinards. And you can win that way. I mean, you can win that way. Um, you know, when you're talking about an 18 and 13 team that won 10 conference games last year, being pretty much an underachieving team, yeah, it's pretty good. And the SEC is going to be better this year. So they get a 10 and 8 in conference this year. I think they'll probably go dancing. But um, that's what you have to do because, uh, you know, I don't care who comes into South Carolina. They're not going to corral the in-state talent. There's too many people working against the program that are, you know, convinced that young people are better off going someplace else, basketball playing young people. It's kind of funny, you know, you look at football and baseball. I mean, how many baseball guys are in the pros? I don't know that they're all from South Carolina. I know like Whit Merrifield's from North Carolina, obviously Jackie Bradley Jr. is from Virginia. Um, but then there's other guys that are from the state that are in the show. Yeah, you look at the NFL, it's littered with South Carolina talent that went to South Carolina. In basketball, PJ Dozier, South Carolina kid, went to South Carolina in the NBA. You know, South Carolina's got Dozier, Chris Silva, uh, Thornwell was on a roster in the bubble. Uh, and then Bowen, who never actually played for the Gamecocks, but practiced and he claimed South Carolina. He's, a, he's on the roster. So, you know, I mean, where's the argument that, that you know, somehow if you're in state going to South Carolina is, is bad for you? Um, you know, you can point to some guys actually from the state that maybe it didn't work out at South Carolina and they had to transfer. But you know what? It didn't work out anywhere else either. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny thing. You know, it didn't work out everywhere else either and, and all that. And, and, again, you know, nobody's going to fault Zion Williamson for going to do. Um, what if John Morant had come to South Carolina and, and taken Frank up on the offer and not going to Murray State? Uh, you know, when you when guys leave the state for Murray State, something's up. <laughs> I mean, there's just something's up. Uh, and, and it's not a problem in other sports. And, and like Dawn Staley can get any, any person she wants from in the state. And actually, her first run was built on in-state town. You know, and you kind of look at it, Naismith from Vanderbilt, they're projecting him to be a top 10 pick. So that, that'll be like the second time in three years a South Carolinian has gone in the top 10, Zion and Morant and then Naismith. You know, that's tough. It's tough to swallow. It's not Frank's fault. It's not Frank's fault. And, and you naysayers out there can say whatever you want. You can bring whoever you want in to recruit to that program. And the, the results, I mean, I, in my opinion, the results will be no different. No different. No different. And that doesn't mean an overhyped in-state guy won't end up on your roster. 
Uh, you know, because there are some overhyped guys that leave the state, they go wherever, and they never play. Uh, and there have been some overhyped in-state guys that come to South Carolina. I just mentioned a few of them. Uh, so that doesn't mean that. It just it just means that, you know, as far as the guys that can actually play basketball, uh, and some of these folks out here know it, they're going to shove them elsewhere. And I don't care who the coach is. Uh, you know, to overcome something like that, you know, the answer is you just have to win, 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 and the optics of your program have to change. Uh, and that takes ammo away from certain people um, that are out there. Uh, and I'm not naming any names or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, the ammo uh, part of it. You, you know, you want to do everything you can. And I think South Carolina does that with the exception of let's get to the NCAA tournament every year. Yeah. So right now, like I said, he's got to go recruit guys like this because you got to have players. I mean, you know, you can gripe all you want. Oh, good players are leaving the state. Well, you know, not really. Not all of them. Trey Hannibal is a good player. Jalen McCrary is a good player. Jacoby Wright. And, and I think Frank's got something going at this legacy charter school up in Greenville. You know, Wright's going to be really good. You know, so, so they're, they're working. It's just, it's just one of those things. And, you know, so if you can't get them from within the state, and you can't get 100% from within the state anyway, you got to go be resourceful. I talk about that in football recruiting all the time. Go be resourceful. Uh, and I think the football staff is, I think the basketball staff is. And if you look at the baseball staff right now, and it's almost happened quietly, as far as the experts go, you know, and, and baseball is kind of a weird thing because it happens way too early. Um, way too early, in my opinion. But if you look at it, you know, they should be a contender to get back to Omaha in the near future with how they're recruiting. So, there we go on that. So we'll, we'll switch back to football now and get to the mailbag, which, again, I appreciate each and every one of you rolling the mailbag in. All right, so here we go. Mitchell, and Mitchell, I appreciate the email. He says, I have to say that I recently started watching your podcast late last year, and we're not on video, so he's listening, but watching's fine. I have to say it's definitely five-star material. I've been listening and found out you were taking questions from listeners, so I decided to come up with a question to be included on the mailbag segment of the podcast. With that said, here's my question. There have been many teams in college football over the past few seasons that don't have a lot of blue-chip talent on their rosters or a lot of unknown players that have been under-recruited and have won big as a result. Those teams include Matt Rules, Baylor teams, P.J. Flex, Minnesota teams, and the group of five New Year's Six Bowl teams, such as Memphis, Western Michigan, and others. In today's SEC, do you think it's possible that South Carolina could get back to the top of SEC college football by following these teams' methods of prioritizing coaching and evaluating talent instead of doing what they normally do under Muschamp, recruiting the state and trying to get as much blue-chip talent as possible? Well, I'll, I'll say that that's what they – it's basically like a hybrid. And I think in the SEC, you have to do this. And I think that – and people get mad at me, but I have to use Clemson as an example because they're they're really the only program in the past, you know, 15 years that's gone from perennial division hopeful to national championship contender and winner. Um, you know, Clemson didn't win the ACC for 20 years, 21 years. They didn't even win the ACC. Uh, so they were hopeful to win a division every year. And, and, and you kind of got to do a little bit with what they did without, you know, 
you kind sometimes in their classes like that set up the Taj Boyd era at Clemson. They were really heavy on certain areas of their football program. They were elite, and then other areas they they weren't. And so you got to kind of avoid that, I think, with the schedule South Carolina plays because, you know, you can roll out there with Sammy Watkins and Andre Ellington and DeAndre Hopkins and Nartavis Bryant and Taj Boyd, uh, you know, with an average offensive line uh, and with a defense that gives up some plays, and you can outscore – you know, most of the teams in the in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Not all of them, but most of them. Um, in, in South Carolina's case, you really can't do that. If you don't have a D-line in the SEC, you're dead. You're not going to stop anybody. Um, and then Clemson, Clemson got to that level and then capitalized on that. And then, you know, then the, the Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Farrells of the world start coming. Um, you know, you go out to, to Kansas and make an evaluation and get a guy like Isaiah Simmons uh, to go in there. Uh, their secondary, when they played for the first national championship, was a lot of South Carolina guys, three-star guys. You know, now they go and get four-star guys. So, so what you have to do is, uh, like P.J. Fleck and Matt Rule and, and, you know, to a certain level, Memphis. Uh, and keep in mind, Mike Norvell, uh, Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell, are now at Virginia Tech and Florida State. And P.J. Fleck, who was at Western Michigan, is now at Minnesota. So I'll, I'll focus on, you know, Fleck. Minnesota does not have a lot of in-state talent. So they have to go and they got to evaluate guys out of Georgia or New Jersey or wherever and then out-scheme people. Well, and there's more talent in South Carolina than there is in Minnesota. So you can get a nice base. You can get Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens and Luke Doty uh, Brian Edwards and, and guys like that. And then there's there's usually a Debo Samuel type out there that's under the radar that ends up being really, really good from within the state. So you could do that. Um, and, and you got to get the blue chip guys uh, in the SEC. But, but it also takes a blend because, you know, South Carolina's not going to go sign 15 four- and five-star guys. Um. They may get to like 15 guys that are rated four stars or higher by at least one recruiting network. Uh, that's that's logical, but but you're not going to get, you know, classes that rank as high as say Ohio State or Clemson right now. I mean, you're just, it's unrealistic. So you got to go. You do have to go evaluate, and I think they have evaluated. I think they focused on making good evaluations. Now you said prioritizing coaching. They prioritize coaching, but you know. I think that there is a legitimate question on game days based on the results, you know, to question that. Um, I think bringing in Mike Bobo was smart, bringing in Tracy Rocker, who, you know, Tracy Rocker did a great job at Georgia and Tennessee when he was there uh, in the NFL with the, the Tennessee Titans. But, you know, where Tracy Rocker sort of cut his teeth, he was in Arkansas, I think under Houston Nutt. And they would go out and go into the state of Georgia and, and beat, I don't know, Western Carolina on a guy or two. And, and then next thing you know, those guys were in the NFL. He's a great developer of talent. Um, and I think you need that. You know, Joe Cox, you look at his – he's a young guy, but you look at what he did at Colorado State, kind of – you got to piece it together out there. You got to kind of know where you're at. Uh, and then you got to start winning games. Um, you, you develop these guys, you got to start winning games. And I think individually talent, individual talent wise, I mean, they found a lot of unknowns. DJ Wanham, uh, draft pick 
flipped him from Indiana. Sedarius Hutcherson, they beat Memphis for. He's going to be a high, one of the top interior offensive linemen taken in the draft. Starting left tackle this year came out of junior college, Jaston Turnitine. Uh, I don't think they had any competition for him uh, outside of maybe, I think, Kansas State, somebody like that, Colorado. Um, he's from Atlanta, so he's coming here anyway, but uh, wasn't, wasn't exactly a gigantic recruiting battle they won for him. Um, you know, you kind of look at it, you know, Colin Hill, if he's the starting quarterback, that's a resourceful get. Now that's kind of a different category than what we're talking. Um, you know, so, so you sort of look at it. And Izzy McWamu, even though the Gamecocks flipped him from FSU, he's a three, three-star guy, wasn't a four, you know, wasn't a top 100 player. Uh, Jamie Robinson, they ended up beating Kentucky and Auburn on, three-star guy out of Georgia. Um, so I think they're already doing that. I, I think the missing piece is whereas rule and flex teams performed at a high level on game day, um, and I'm not going to sit there and say those teams aren't talented because talent, you know, recruiting rankings don't necessarily equal the talent on your roster. Recruiting rankings are potential and long-term projections. In other words, uh, and when I did this, this is this is what we did, and this is still the philosophy. You rank a guy number 125 in the country. What you're saying is he has a chance if he maximizes and things get, you know, he maximizes his talent because football is a talent maximization game. You got to, nobody comes in, you know, to a college and, and, and lights it on fire. Even guys that are very talented have learning curves. Um, it's just a different game when you get to that level. Um, I'm saying that that guy has a chance to be drafted in the first four rounds of the NFL draft, period. Uh, the five stars, you're saying that guy, if he maximizes, has a chance to be a first rounder. That doesn't mean that, oh, well, you know, Team X had a top five class, and so their their roster is really loaded, so it must be coaching. No, it's not always that. Sometimes it's the player. Uh, it's impossible to, you know, get inside a guy's head, see how much he's willing to work and buy in and all that. And, you know, some guys, no matter how talented they are, when they go up a level, and this happens when you go from college to the NFL as well, they just straight up don't want any. Because the collisions are so much more violent and fast. Uh, there was a tweet on Twitter the other day where a guy was in the end zone during the Tennessee-South Carolina game last year. And I think it was Jennings called a pass in the end zone. But I don't. it, was, it happened too fast for me to see who the Gamecock DB was. But one of them had coverage. The other comes cross and it blindsides him, trying to knock the ball loose. That kind of gives you an idea of compared to high school, you know, college is kind of a different speed of a game. And some guys just straight up don't want any. So with that said, it's impossible to bat a thousand when it comes to star ratings and stuff like that. So to answer your question, I think South Carolina is doing a lot of the things under Will Muschamp that you've talked about here. The difference is, you know, Matt Rule and PJ Flex teams on game day have always gone out. And, and overperformed, whereas most champs, I think, in a lot of cases, have underperformed on game day. Um, so that's uh, that's that's the deal there. Mitchell, I certainly appreciate you sending me this question. Uh, thanks for participating in the mailbag. Uh, you're the man. So thanks so much uh, for all that. All right, off Twitter, and our Twitter account for the show is at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, he goes, uh, Jordy. 
he says, the big spur pod. Hearing a lot about Rico Powers and, and Jakari Colo, but haven't heard much about Mike Wyman. Have you heard about how he looks? I don't know that much about Caldwell. I've, you know, seen some clips of him here and there, have heard he's looking good. Uh, Mike Wyman's a guy that's really worked hard this offseason, changed his body, um, really uh, is a guy that did not have the greatest senior year nobody did on his high school team. Um, I think the idea is maybe to redshirt him, uh, although nobody's redshirting this year, so he could get in the in the rotation. But I haven't heard anything about him in terms of where he stands. And if you listen to the first of the show, you know, those are the guys that are kind of like on the radar based on what I've heard. That said, uh, there's a lot of people that like, because Mike Wyman sort of committed early and was this highly rated guy and then his ranking dropped or whatever, you know, they were, they were, they were, you know, thinking they were just writing him off. I would not write him off. I would not write him off. I would not write him off. I think he's got, you know, some talent that needs to be kind of developed a little bit. Um, and we'll see what happens, you know, not making any bold predictions about him this year. Uh, but I, like I said, don't, don't write him off. Uh, he's a guy that's working exceptionally hard. Um, and, and that's all you can ask for, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. But, you know, and, and the other point of all this is with everybody red shirting this year, you, you may see Mike Wyman on the punt block team or something. Uh, and he may be really good at it. You know, you're going to be able to use scholarship guys on special teams and, uh, all that and not worry about it. I mean, you'll, you can have, you know, a bunch of, and, and this is what programs like Alabama and Ohio state have had this luxury. I mean, we remember Minka Fitzpatrick at, at Bama, you know, he didn't start in the secondary because they had guys and he played sparingly or, or, or not a lot back there, but my man was on the punt block team. And he blocked, I think he blocked two kicks. He was a special teams demon. So, you know, the, the positive thing about this, everybody red shirts thing is that, you can have an upgrade at an athleticism and playmaking ability on your special teams because you don't have to worry about burning a red shirt. Um, and so that's kind of exciting. And, and look, this is not a rule that benefits solely South Carolina. Everywhere else is going to have something like that too. Jordy, really, really, really appreciate, really, really appreciate the uh, question. Thank you uh, for sending that in. All right. Also off Twitter again, at the Big Spur Pod. Just tweet at us. Just tweet at us, and uh, the Big Spur Pod will answer that. Uh, what's Colton Gauthier's ceiling? Can he be a better player than Jay Ulrich? Um, all right, so so Jay Jay's the ultimate glue guy. Everybody loves him. Uh, he works hard. He's come a long way at quarterback. Uh, I, I hope that people, you know, I hope the Gamecocks don't have to find that out, and that's no offense to him because that would mean – Three quarterbacks got hurt this year. That would be a disaster. Um, just from an injury standpoint, I'm not saying Jay would be awful. Uh, he went to wide receiver for a little while. That didn't really work out, so he's back there. He's a leader on the team. Um, really good guy, part of the program. You know, don't know how much he'll play. But when he came in, he hadn't been playing quarterback for very long. He was sort of a project guy, like a big project. Um and a guy that Kurt Roper really liked uh, as terms of upside, but he would need to really develop. Uh, and he has, but the Gamecocks kind of, for lack of a better term, they keep recruiting over him. I mean, you know, you, Jay Orch has been here. He was here before Colin Hill, Ryan Holinsky, or Luke Doty. Uh, but they, they kind of recruit over him. And so that that's kind of what happened. 
Um, and and, I, and it's, it's, it's tough that receiver didn't work out because I think that athletically he's a guy that maybe could have done some things. But we'll see. We'll see kind of what happens um, with Ulrich. And you ask about Colton. Well, Colton's already like – if you compare the two when they were in high school, Colton's better than Ulrich as far as – like if I were just looking at, college, at high school quarterbacks, um, let's say I had them both – uh, on my team and in camp and they're battling it out, I'd go with Colton because he's the better player uh, than high school Jay Orich at, at rent. Um, and that's not, you know, that's discounting upside, recruiting rankings, whatever, because recruiting rankings are based on upside. But, you know, maybe maybe if I evaluate it for college, I say Orich has a little more, a little more of an upside, but I don't know because, you know, the thing with Colton is he's got a really strong arm. Uh, he's tall. Uh, he, he's a, a guy that just, you know, he's a passer. He's almost like one of those guys, in my opinion, that like plays for Mike Leach, you know, boom, 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 you know, throw, 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 throw. Those guys are doing pretty well. <laughs> the air raid guys are doing pretty well in the NFL. Um, I, I did a player comparison with him. He reminds me of Charlie Whitehurst when Charlie was a high school senior. Um, Clemson actually sort of backed into him. He got hurt, you know, wasn't really hyped, kind of a low three-star guy. And we saw what Charlie Whitehurst's career at South Carolina – I mean, at Clemson looked like, especially against South Carolina. Um, so that's who he reminds me of, that kind of arm. Charlie had a good arm. Um, and I think that's a pretty high ceiling for the kid. Uh, I, I think also if you're talking about bringing in a Luke Doty on one end and then bringing in a kind of junk Gunner Stockton on the other, you know – it's probably wise to go get a guy that's going to need to develop a bit like Colton because what you don't want to have happen is, you know, and Alabama can sustain this uh, is like what happened at Alabama when Jalen Hurts came in and beat everybody out. And then you had three elite 11 quarterbacks say, yeah, I'm out I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> and then, so who was Jalen Hurts backup in 2016? I think it was a walk-on. Uh, so you don't want to get in that kind of situation. So I think year to year, you know, yeah, great. If you can recruit a five-star every year and let it all work it out, you know, that's fine. But, you know, you know, like look at Georgia, you know, Jake Fromm, uh, as as solid as he was, you know, basically two five-star quarterbacks left because of him. Because Jacob Easton left and went back to Washington and then, uh, Justin Fields left and went to Ohio State. Justin Fields should have gone to Ohio State to begin with because Justin Fields was not a fit in the offense at Georgia. Um, and the offense, so, so he wasn't a fit in the offense at Georgia. He leaves. Kirby makes a change at OC, and, and then that, that was a disaster because they got worse, and he certainly wasn't a fit that year. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, sometimes guys make decisions and they're not really thinking. Uh, but anyway, you know, maybe he would fit with Georgia's offense this year. I don't know. But, um, you know, so, so you know some guys are going to leave, but th that doesn't change the fact you need depth. Uh, and you need guys you can count on. People get hurt. Quarterbacks get hurt. Um, so I, I think it's a positive thing that they went out and got Colton. And I think, you know, he's going to come in and compete for the job. And, you know, heck, it, it, I think with his arm talent, you know, the, the – there's a lot of upside there. Um, and I, I think Mike Bobo did a good thing getting him. So we'll see kind of 
how all that plays out. Chris, thank you so much. Appreciate the uh, the tweet and the question right there. All right, so those are the mailbag questions for today. Um, please send those mailbag questions in on in to inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, again, thanks to Mitchell and, and Chris and Jordy for sending in those questions today. I'll read more tomorrow, obviously, when we have a lot to talk about. Will Muschamp talks with the media at one. Will Muschamp is going to be on JB and Goldwater. If, if Assuming you listen to this podcast before then, um, coming up at 1230. Uh, it is now 1103. But I, I'll say this. It's um, If you miss it, you can go uh, on Apple Podcast and get JB and Goldwater and listen to Muschamp. And then I'm on right after Muschamp at 1 o'clock. That's the JB and Goldwater show. Uh, be sure to also check out the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. Uh, that's more of a broad look at college football with myself and Mike Morgan from the SEC Network and ESPN. Uh, if you love just general college football talk, certainly check that out. Again, Apple Pods, five stars. Follow the Twitter account at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, we certainly appreciate each and every one of you joining us every day. I'll probably be, I will probably, I will likely, I'll definitely uh, be, in, you know, God willing, and the creek don't rise. <laughs> I will be back tomorrow, uh, and uh, we'll talk about some of the things Muschamp says to the media. There'll be some news probably today, uh, hopefully as we continue to march toward September 26th and the season opener uh, with the Tennessee Vols. J.C. Sherbert signing off. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Holla at you soon.